the population of London grew at a rapid rate in the 19th century, and the city soon ran out of places to bury its dead. The answer was the creation of huge suburban cemeteries around the edge of the capital. Their grand monuments and more modest headstones connect us directly to the past, giving us compelling clues to fascinating lives. One local historian, Mike Guilfoyle, has made it his mission to uncover some of the extraordinary tales that lie behind the epitaphs at the Brockley and Ladywell Cemetery in South East London. More than 150,000 people are thought to have been buried in this leafy, peaceful resting place. Some famous in their day, some infamous, many deserving recognition once again. These are the stories behind the London epitaphs. Louis Drysdale, or Dry as he was popularly known, was a Jamaican-born tenor and singing professor working in the early years of the last century. He died young at 49, and although the whereabouts of his grave are known, the headstone is now sadly lost, probably due to bomb damage in the Second World War. Indeed, I came across his name by chance when looking through cemetery records and drawn by the sense that he might be of considerable historic interest, I discovered a truly inspiring story. Little is known of Dry's background except that it was a humble one. His father a carpenter, his mother a cook. He arrived in England as part of the famous Jamaica Choir in 1906 and decided to stay and make the most of any opportunity to improve his musical skills. With the backing of the wealthy businessman Sir Alfred Jones who had brought the choir over to the UK, Dry got a place at the esteemed Royal College of Music, learning from the outstanding operatic performers of the day. But it was as a music teacher that he really made his name, and how he came to the attention of such great musical stars as the legendary singer and actor Paul Robson. He made his home in nearby Forest Hill, a house described as a mecca of music. But he also taught from studios in central London, one of them on the famous Wigmore Street. The great and good of the singing world came to try to perfect their voices. Among them was the enormously popular African-American cabaret singer Florence Mills and the highly respected contralto Marian Anderson at the start of her remarkable singing career. Both women were not only international stars but important figures in the equality movement in the United States. Dry also offered a generous scholarship to Jamaican singers and fellow Jamaicans were always welcomed to the home he shared with his English wife. Back in Jamaica, he was being celebrated as one of its most famous sons. The comedian, Ernest Cooperden, was quartered in the Daily Gleaner after visiting Dry in London in 1930. While I was in England, it was my good fortune not only to meet Mr Drysdale and his charming English wife, but to stay at, in their home at Forest Hill for several weeks. That Mr Drysdale is a distinguished teacher of voice production and singing has been demonstrated by the results he has achieved. His wife has been of invaluable service to his art. He has a large clientele of men and women of all nationalities and people travel from distant parts of England to take lessons from Mr Drysdale. Perhaps his most prestigious collaboration, as well as close personal friendship, was with the composer Samuel Coolidge Taylor, best known now perhaps for his song of Hiawatha Cantatas. Coolidge Taylor regarded Dry as one of the best teachers of voice and piano in the British Empire. Before presenting his work publicly, the composer would take it round to Dry's studio first to rehearse it and then to await his all-important criticism. 
It is hard now to assess accurately how well a West Indian musician would have been accepted into British musical society in the first half of the 20th century. Few contemporary articles touch on the issue of race. One report states that his English wife suffered no ostracism from society. Another tells of an occasion when the Drysdales came to the rescue of the editor and publisher of the Chicago Defender, one Robert S. Abbott, who encountered prejudice when trying to find hotel accommodation in London. Dry not only took him in, but introduced him to several prominent society figures. A picture is painted not only of a generous and hospitable man, but an influential and well-connected public figure. A visitor to the Drysdale home wrote an account of what he saw there for readers back home in the West Indies. Autographed photographs of well-known singers of the world, black and white, and I was privileged to read letters of thanks to him for his care and patience in producing their voices to best effect. There was one large photograph of the late Florence Mills inscribed to Professor Drysdale, the master who knows. And other photographs and letters dutifully submitted from Roland Hayes, Paul Robson and Marian Anderson. And I saw testimonials from first-rate artists, among them Florence Cole Talbot, who studied for a long time in Italy, but who declared so that all the world may know that Professor Drysdale master voice culturalist, did more for her in three months than she gained under teachers in Italy in three years. Dry died in February 1933, but the reasons behind his early death is not recorded, only that it followed three days of illness. One friend described how even during this illness Dry was practicing singing his scales in bed. His funeral was attended, as one newspaper worded it, by many notables from the professional business and civic world. One morning remembered him as a man who loved his job and who was loved by his students. Back home in Jamaica, his fame lived on perhaps a little longer than it did here. The resting place has been rediscovered. It might bring to light new fans and followers of the man who perfected the voices of some of the greatest and enduring singing stars of the early 20th century. London Epitaphs was brought to you by Tempest Productions.